welcome to the Business of Gaming podcast. Today is episode 17. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Steve Max Darkfire Huber. And I'm your other host, Vic Sphinx Bakarian. And we're joined by a new guest today. Rio, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Rio Pawa Suzuki. You can find me on most platforms, variation of Pawa something, usually followed by a number. I'm a second year uh, MBA student at USC Marshall. Uh, along with Steve and Vic. I'm a little special case where I'm actually not graduating until December of next year, but uh, I'm still pursuing a, a career in interactive entertainment along with these guys, and I'm here to just talk about games. And uh, what I like to play is a lot of Japanese games, and I, I'm a kind of a like perfectionist. I play a lot of 100-plus-hour uh, games, so <laughs> I can talk a, a little bit about that when, we, when we're talking about games today. So with your username... Where does it come from? Because I think you've told me this before, and it's really interesting. Oh, yeah. So this this comes from a Japanese baseball game called Jikyo Pahuru Pro Yaku. Oh, so, um, as, as maybe some people might have guessed, uh, I am Japanese. I play a lot of Japanese games. And uh, so the, the, they call they bring every game short. So the names are shorter. So then they, they call this game Pawapuro. So I wanted a username that people can easily use. So, uh, I just took Pawa because it's really short and everyone likes to scream Pawa when they're playing. So. <laughs> so we're getting near the end of the year. 2017 is the year that we currently are in. Uh, and a bunch of us just went to the Game Awards. So this episode, we're mostly going to talk about what games we saw last year, what we thought were interesting, what award shows and video games actually do to the brand and the monetization of games, as well as what we're looking forward to for next year. So, I guess to start it off, Vic and Rio, what did you think of the Game Awards? I thought they've definitely improved a lot this year. Jeff Keighley's doing a lot with not just sponsorships, but being able to get buy-in from big names to, to either be there to hand off awards, like Guillermo del Toro, even though he was there, you know, obviously as a friend of Hideo Kojima. Um, but like Zachary Levi, Andy Circus, like that—that's insane. I feel like the Oscars have been after Andy Circus for a while, and Jeff Keighley managed to pull him into a Game Awards. Um, but additionally, really being able to to change the scale of this so that you know, uh, I think viewership numbers for the Game Awards tripled this year over last year is the most recent statistic that I saw. The meaning that there's really a lot of people paying attention to this, whether it's because they think this is the Oscars for video games. Or because they know that Jeff Keighley's done a good job of bringing out all these uh, world premieres. But either way, this is becoming the new stage uh, year-round for games to to want to be on. Because if you're looking for new ways to promote your game, one of the best ways is if you get this kind of acknowledgement, it might really support your brand, it might really support your game, and it might mean some great tail-end sales. Rio? Yeah, to kind of go off of that too with that Oscars of the games, uh, games industry... You really saw the uptick and the, the, the production value, it feels like. The, the ticket that I received was very, very fancy. And um, from, compared to last year, which was just a printout. And compared to my ticket. <laughs> compared to Vic's ticket. Uh, so they're, they're really trying to go hard on that. Hey, this is really an Oscars of the game, gaming industry. Because even, I mean, I, not everyone followed the same attire. But when, when we got the email, it says attire, business casual. So they are really trying to bring that upscaleness, that red carpetness to it, and and this year it was a long longer too because I don't remember starting at five thirty last year and it ended almost around the same time. There were a lot more stuff out there, a lot more content, a lot more people coming out and doing these little productions, and the orchestra that came out that that was amazing. Um, 
they started the the whole show with the orchestra playing games for uh, music from different games, and even in, you know the, at, at the end when they were announcing the game awards, uh, game of the year. They had that whole production going. I really liked it, and uh, I think they're really trying to bring that that upscaleness to it. And I think it's really they're doing a really good job at it. So, the Game Awards is not the only video game game of the year presentation show that's out there. Jeff Keeley's has actually referenced the Dice Awards as well, and how he doesn't want this to be the Oscars of gaming. Do you think that his words and his actions and how he's like really upping the Game Awards is counter to each other? I wouldn't necessarily say that it's counter to each other. Um, I kind of understand how he wants to differentiate from the Dice Awards. I think he really wants this to be an event and an opportunity to highlight. So, Sort of as an example, what he did with the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award that he included, which, by the way, again, just a nod to every other type of award show that exists in the entertainment industry. But again, choosing Carol Shaw for her, her lifetime after you know having made River Run and having worked with Atari as one of the first females there, that's incredibly impressive. And a really, really great sense of, hey, this is a chance for us, Jeff Keighley not really working for a studio or a publisher in his history, being able to get up and say, hey, we the gamers say Carol Shaw deserves a trophy. We the gamers say this is the game of the year. We the gamers say we care about McDonald's and Uber Eats and, <laughs> you know, um, just kind of like uh, it's a new platform. And it's the, the greater the viewership grows, the more seriously that event gets taken. Um, and finally, the rest of the world will start perking up and paying attention to what do you think, Rio? Yeah, I, 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 you forgot eBay in that list. Of oh, of course. I'm so here. sorry. But, <laughs> hey, at least uh, there was no Schick Hydrobot this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, going off of what Vic said about that Life Achievement Award, I think it's really important, especially for our industry, because uh, diversity is a big issue. And uh, bringing that spotlight onto it is, is, I think, really powerful in the sense of bringing highlight onto individuals that have been performing really well. And hopefully that inspires more female creators to come out and, and produce great games for us. That said, kind of answering what Steve asked, it's just another way. There, I mean, all the even in the entertainment industry itself, there's a lot of different shows out there. So I don't think it needs to be that one thing. And I think he understands that. And he's like, this is a, one other way where people can express their opinions and bring out value to all these creators because they've been creating all these great games that people like. Awesome. Um, so on a similar note about the Game Awards and award shows in general, so with the Oscars, which we're just for the sake of this podcast going to sort of equate the Game Awards and the Oscars, games that, that are either nominated or win awards actually see a significant lift in their profits and revenues from people actually going out to see the movie. Um, like Moonlight last year made so much money after the Oscars because people wanted to see the movie that won Best Oscar. So from Ivis World, from the Best Picture winners from 2008 to 2012, these movies earned about $13.8 million more after they won the award than nominated films that did not win. So they really had about 50% of the box office revenue before being nominated, about 33% between the nominations and before winning, another 20% after they won. So it's sort of, if a movie in particular wins an Oscar, they really increase the value of their brand. So with video games, have you guys seen anything similar to this? Are there any games that after they were nominated, you're like, I've never heard of this game, I want to play them? Yeah, so I mean, that kind of happened for me with That Dragon Cancer after last year's Game Awards. Mm. Um, In a sense that it made it onto my list of, okay, I need to know what's up with this game. Um, Typically, it is those smaller, more indie titles that are usually like, okay, great, 
my biggest hesitation in jumping into an indie is that it's like picking, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means having to buy half the haystack before maybe you find a needle. Um, but it definitely helps highlight, like, hey, amidst all these games, there's a real gem here. Um, so is it sort of that gives, the nomination gives the game credibility or invalidation that the industry sees this as a good game? Well, I guess I'm only speaking for myself there. I think what happens is you see the ones that win awards uh, cause a kind of flush of FOMO or that feeling of missing De- out across people that are like, oh, everyone else loved this game enough for it to win an award and I'm the one person that didn't play it. Um, okay, well now it's on my list, especially given the timing of this right before winter break. Um, <laughs> especially given the fact that this is usually partnered with, hey, most of the games that are nominated tonight are on sale on PlayStation. Um, re- really good, really good uh, like one-two punch of um, we're going to highlight these games, market these games really well, remind you that it's a great game, and then also put it up at, uh, on sale. See, see if that kind of helps. And I think that's what really does it, is that sense of I need to know why this won, and I don't want to be that one guy that didn't play this game. Yeah, so for me, last for last year's show, I play a lot of like AAA titles or games that play uh, that take up a lot of time, so I don't really get to play a lot of these small games. So last year, I didn't play Inside or Firewatch until I went to the Game Awards and saw how good it was. You get to see trailers and then people talking about it. You get excited about it, and you're like, hey. It's, and like Vic said, it's winter break, so it's like, okay, I got some time. I'm going to go get these and, and play it. And, and I think that's what really helps with these game awards because this the whole year what you see at the, all these gaming conventions or gaming shows are games that are about to come out or that's been, that's going to come out in the future. You don't really get to see the titles that's out right now or, or that's been doing really well. And I think these game awards really help highlight that and then say, hey, this was out this year. Did you miss it? And like for this year, I mean, there were so many big games out there. Even the AAA titles, like, like Nier, I didn't play. Uh, I, I really want to go back. Persona 5, I have the game, but I have not played it yet. Because <laughs> uh, um, I know it's, it's going to be an 80 to 100 hour game. And I just didn't have time right now. So it's, it's in the back burner. But after talking about, about it and seeing on these, these shows, you just get more excited and be like, okay, I really do need to play it. And uh, just... You know, it, it's different aspects of it because I, I like playing certain games. JRPGs is one of them, uh, and certain action games. I don't play maybe like a FPS as much. But then, if you hear people talking about it and then say, "Hey, this is another genre," then I might want to go and try it out. Uh, so it gives you that that new new opening that you you were looking for. I will also say that Firewatch is a great example of a company doing stuff with game awards and then parlaying that into more success as soon as you saw the in the valley of the gods commercial the first thing you saw was was campo santo the studio that brought you firewatch and everyone perked up in the audience myself included i'm incredibly excited for that game if for no other reason than the fact that campo santo made it. and i have no idea what that game's about all i know is that it's egypt exploring something going to be about narrative something heavy with narration and, and that's going to be what people want from the game so yep. i think it's good and, and that art style is very very unique in that if you love that art style you will probably love everything the studio puts together so i was able to pull up a few a little bit of data on some of the game awards mostly the mobile games because it's easier to track that and it does appear at least for mobile games that being nominated at least significantly increases your presence look so the five games were nominated for best mobile game of the year were monument valley 2 fire emblem heroes super mario run Old Man's Journey and Hidden Folks. Super Mario Run, 
most people have played, and that download and revenue stream stayed relatively flat um, over the Game Awards period. Um, it's seen a recent uptick after the Game Awards, but that might just be because people are off school and they're bored now. But Monument Valley 2 had a huge spike. Uh, they were previously down to around 4,000 downloads a day, and right after they were nominated, it went back up to 13,000. So this this sounds a lot like the feature effect. Um, the feature effect being yeah. if you end up in a, a featured top blank list, um, whether it's on Steam or on the App Store or on Google Play, um, you have this massive disparity between you know the, the number 10 slot and the number 11 game on the Apple App Store because of the fact that it gets featured. So again, for the people looking for that validation, that credibility of how good is this game, um, getting that feature effect has a, a magnificent like 10x, 20x effect on your downloads. And so as soon as you have, a, hey, this is featured as a nominee, you get that extra feature effect. And I think that's when people are like, oh, I knew Monument Valley was a cool game, but I didn't realize it was this good. Like I didn't realize it was better than the other 9,500 mobile games you could find yeah. in the app store and, and kind of to go off of that too is that that i know steve said that mario super mario run sales kind of stayed flat i think that's because the people that watch the game awards are predominantly gamers <laughs> and that know about mario and then like fire emblem heroes but i i didn't know about monument valley too it's so it's it's one of those things where, where you never heard about it and it's like when you hear it it's like oh i gotta try it out and uh i think most people already and that's the whole thing of getting that name out and uh, it's like bigger titles that already people talk about, then it's there's you're not going to see that big of a spike. But those games that are the indie ones that you just needle in a haystack. But when that that needle gets a little bit shiny and then visible, and more people can grab it, then that that's when people start getting hooked on it and then start playing it. And I think Hidden Folks is uh, the fifth game that I listed is actually a perfect example of that. Um, so, of the games that were nominated there, three are free to play. The last two, Old Man's Journey and Hidden Folks, are actually premium titles on mobile, which is really rare nowadays. Before they were nominated, they only they average about three to four hundred downloads per day. As soon as they were nominated, it jumped up to around four thousand. So, oh, wow. just getting that validation, fifteen x, I like it, <laughs> completely changes the economics of how your game is doing. Yeah. And it also, speaking of being featured, allows you to have better platform relations with Google and Apple in the future to get your next game featured. So, like, Jam City, if they release a Harry Potter game that you may have seen in the news recently, huh. that'll probably be featured because Apple and Google know so much about how good Jam City games are. Yeah. And so brand brand definitely does get affected here. And it's great because that brand value comes back and affects partnerships like you're talking about. That brand value comes back and you end up in a position where maybe at the next Game Awards and the next one, you aren't so surprised by Monument Valley 3 because you're like, you know what? I recognize Monument Valley 2 because I remember that year they won or they were nominated. Um, and, and it all kind of loops back in, which is why the, the, the feature effect and the highlight you get out of something like this is just huge. Even being a nominee on a Game of the Year running um, for something like IGN can be really huge, but we'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later on, because IGN typically gravitates between the major AAAs, which is no surprise, um, but I mean, there were so many indies on that list last year that were really, really impressive. One of my favorite games of all time, The Witness, happened to be on the list last year, which um, super impressive, given that that game was made by one person, most of the games were made by about a thousand, so. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with what we played this year, what we thought should have been Game of the Year, if it wasn't Zelda. 
as well as what we're looking forward to next year. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) As I'm eating my Welsh's fruit snacks. Uh, Yeah, so now that we're back, let's talk about maybe our top three game experiences of the year. Um, Disclaimer, this is personal, so this is not necessarily the three games that perform best uh, as a business product. Yep. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll go ahead and kick us off. Um, Very unsurprisingly, my first choice is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Is that your, like, best experience of the year? Or is that your third best experience? Yeah. that would be my best experience. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's so many reasons you could pick. I think my favorite reason is the fact that there is now a new benchmark for open world. There is now a new definition of open world that every other game is going to be compared to until it's done right. Previously, I'd say, you know, you haven't done open world until you've done something like The Witcher 3, which makes you feel like you're still in a linear storyline without actually being in a linear world. Um that's really, really impressive. And just the fact that it could be done on such a simple, friendly format um, blows my mind because it's a portable world in your pocket and that's r- really the, the future. Nintendo's proven the model time and time again, but the thing is they did it out of the gate with The Legend of Zelda. By 8 o'clock the morning after the, the Nintendo Switch went on sale, um, The Legend of Zelda had already changed the game industry. Um, I think my, my second choice is probably going to have to be Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, that's not only an epic in the way it tells a story, but just the feeling of being in a world where uh, I felt threatened all the time, but at the same time felt like survival was um, just a matter of how well I could play the game. Start, starting off, you can already do everything you could do the entire game, which was really great. Um, the skill system, the skill tree kind of makes the gameplay a little bit better, but otherwise, you know, you could take down the, the giant, what do they call Thunderhorns? Um, yeah. <laughs> You can take one of those down in the very beginning of the game if you if you want to. It's just going to be a little bit harder. Um, but made me really feel like I, I existed in this world and I was facing challenges. And, and the combat is unlike anything else I've, I've played. So that's, that's definitely up there. Um, my third top one is actually Overcooked. Okay. <laughs> um, Which version? Uh, so I've played it on PlayStation. I've heard it's great on the Switch. Um, I loved it. I loved it on the PlayStation. I love playing with four people. I've never loved and hated a co-op game so much. Um, it's it's <laughs> beauties and it's simplicity, uh, but it does very much depend on who you play with because not everyone is really good at taking orders, figuratively or literally. So that, that I think, was, is one of the best couch co-op experiences I've had that's also family-friendly, um, which is something you really expect at a Nintendo. Um, it's great that Overcooked came to the Switch. I think it fits that, that existing market really well. And... It just it was such a good time because of the fact that um, there was a simple game I could introduce other people to who had never touched a controller before, and in an hour they'd know what they were doing. And there are not a lot of games I could say that that exists with. So nice. Those are those are my top three. Oh, and uh, I guess if we're gonna do honorable mentions, um, I'm gonna go with Eagle Flight. Uh, not I'm not fully certain that Eagle Flight came out in 2017. It's an older game. I think it's 2014. Is it? Is it really? Well. Um, so a special mention to Eagle Flight, which I played this year, only because Ubisoft has really done a good job of n- knowing how to incorporate this experience so that you get the freedom of play. VR gets to use all of its mechanisms, and you just you don't feel sick. Like the, the using the the NASA Ames research was 
such a smart move. And as a result, you're seeing that same um, occlusion effect that's being used to prevent sickness in Eagle Flight to be used in other VR titles. So, um, honorable mention to them for just getting it right. Nice. How are you, Rio? So, for me, uh, I'm going to go pretty conventional. I'm going to start with three. Uh, Mario Odyssey. Okay. Just uh, I just finished the game yesterday. I'm about 500 power moons. Um, <laughs> it's it was just really a great game to play. Uh, it's it brings a lot of the classic Mario experience back into it, and it really brings that family element that Nintendo's always looking for. And because I mean, it got it won the family game of the year, and I think it's it's a great way because. There's a co-op element to it, and which makes it a little bit easier for maybe families with little kids to play with their family, where you sit down, one person could be playing Mario, and the other play, person could be uh, controlling Cappy. And you, you can get that co-op with the family, and also enjoy the, the, car, the cartoony feel of Mario, and just the storyline. Uh, Gameplay is not overly difficult, except for certain power moons, where it just gets really punishing. But then other than, other than that, boss mechanics... They're quite simple. Um, even when you play, well, I don't want to spoil anything, so let me let me I'll hold <laughs> off on that one. But uh, um, so it's it's you know you can sit down with your family and play, and I think that's what really Nintendo strives for. And the Switch is a great console to do that with, and I think they brought that really strong. So just just to be sure, this is a game where you can possess other creatures and force them to do things against them. Oh yeah, oh yeah, totally family friendly. Oh, it's definitely family friendly. I mean, who doesn't want to be a frog that can jump higher than Mario? <laughs> Although the whole thing in the Mario storyline is how Mario is the greatest jumper in the world, but let's forget about he's, that. He's overrated. He's overrated. It's, it's alright, there's a way you can play the game without jumping a single time. Oh, it's, that's, that's amazing. That's I, I, I can't do that. Unbelievable. So uh, my second one is going to be Vic's number one, Zelda. Um, for me, Zelda's number two, probably because I didn't really grow up playing too many Zelda games. I'm very ashamed of myself. Uh, I played a lot of the, the Game Boy Zeldas, where it's just the, the, the over-the-top, and then it's like little mm-hmm. puzzles. But I didn't, I didn't have an N64, so I never played all the, uh, the, the great... Which are, yeah, none of those, those great games. So I just never grew up with it, but... Because when the Switch came out, I mean that was a title that everyone was going to buy. I, we'll probably talk about a little bit more detail on that one, that topic later. But it got me back into the Zelda franchise, uh, and it was open world. I'm not usually an open world person because I get lost in every corner of the map because I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> I got 120 shrines, Korok seeds. I had to let go because if I went down that tunnel, I would have oh, spent God. another. 100 hours I've already spent 100 plus hours 110 plus hours on that game so but uh, it's just the overall uh, the puzzles on each of the shrines were so different uh, yeah you, you do apply the same kind of mechanics to it but the, the way you solve it was very different there's a lot of elements to it I think that really brought the the, I, the switch uh, alive and tested a lot of the platform uh, the t- technology that the switch brought and I think it was a great game uh, the story was was a little bit weaker for me. Um, that's probably the reason why I chose it number two. And number one uh, is Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, sorry, they're all AAA titles, but uh, just because of the story, I just when I when I was playing that game, that was one of the games where I was like, okay, I need to stop. I need to keep playing because I want to know what's going to happen more. Uh, I also checked every corner of the map on that game too. Spent about 90 plus hours. I, ha- I haven't played the expansion yet. I can't wait to play it. But uh, just when you start the actual main storyline, it, it just keeps you guessing of 
what's going to happen. And I think they did really well in that. And also, that was I wish I had a pro when I was playing this game because it looked so beautiful. And uh, when I played it at PSX last year, uh, they were showing a, a pro, and I can't do a side by side comparison, so I didn't notice it as much. But like when people talk about how it was so beautiful on the pro, it's it, just one of the things that's making me consider it. And uh, I guess for the the honorable mention for me is uh, Farpoint. Uh, this is the reason why is because uh, uh, the aim controller. Vic and I at PSX last year we played Farpoint. We we stayed in line for three plus hours. We got to play it on Sunday, and it was. It's really fun. The, the, the aim controller is really a game changer, I think. The, the way you, you play in VR, uh, where when you're actually trying to look down the, the, the scope, when you, you have to actually bring the gun and you're actually trying to look at it through the aim controller. And it's, it's just really cool how you can aim with that. And uh, the, the design of the controller itself is so good that they're, it's, it's light, so it's not overbearing. Like if you go to an arcade and try to play like Time Crisis or any of those, those games, the, the controller kind of gets a little bit heavy when you're playing for a long time. But because the aim controller is designed so well, that um, it, I think it was it's, it's really easy to play. The only downside is it's very hard to stay in that space for a prolonged period of time, uh, especially for me because I'm not I don't get too motion sick. But when you're in that VR space and you're doing those quick actions where you're turning left and right because these head crab looking things are jumping at your face. It, it does become a little bit punishing. So I'd I like to see how they're going to use this aim controller and the technology in the future to kind of improve on that experience. Awesome. So for me, I'll start with my honorable mention. Um, I'm going to put Zelda there. Um, the game was beautiful. It was amazing. Storyline was definitely lacking. I played most of the mechanics in other games before. So it's not really on my top three list. However... My honorable mention because from a business point standpoint, it sold the Switch. It made the Switch what it is today, selling over 10 million units. If it had not gotten those units in people's hands, the AAA developers that are continuously developing for it and are now announcing more games might not have been with it. And the consumers may not have decided to stay with the machine. As for my top three, um, my third place one, I'll probably say... Ooh, this is hard. I'm going to say Persona 5. Um, Persona 5, the music, the storyline, there were multiple moments in that game where it was, uh, what the fuck for me, where I was like, what the hell just happened? And it's also the only game, like I mentioned before, that after 60, 70 hours, I wanted the game to continue playing. I wanted another 20, 30 hours of the game. My number two game... It's probably Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Uh, I did buy that after the Game Awards, and I played through it in a single night. It took about six hours, I think. However, it was one of the most captivating six hours I played of any game this past year. Uh, the way they use bi-aureal sound, the way they made you really feel the emotion she was feeling and really show a little bit of a glimpse into what the psychosis uh, how psychosis patients actually have to deal with was very interesting I'm not going to ruin any of the game because that would I really suggest everyone plays it it's only like 25 bucks on PS4 and my number one experience of this past year I'd probably have to say Mario Odyssey 
I just kept playing that game over and over. It brought me back to Mario 64. Beautiful game. I've gotten pretty good at the hat jumps. Yeah, that's my number one. So I like I like that you started off by talking about Zelda as the uh, Switch seller. Um, I think as far as business successes go, it's important to look at not just who, who really sold the most, but things like that. Like the fact that Zelda had over 100% tie rate. Yep. Um, you know, that attachment of there were more copies of the game sold than there were Switches in the market um, blows my mind. But I, I mean... Rio, maybe you can think about one, but I, I definitely feel like Mario vs. Rabbids was a huge, huge win for Ubisoft. Um, especially, like you said, AAA developers were kind of holding off to see what the market size looks like on the Switch. Um, lo and behold, end of 2017, now that's over 10 million units sold, so everybody else get off your ass and make a Switch game. But for Ubisoft to get in and say, hey, we have a crazy goddamn idea. Um, let's take Nintendo IP, let's take our IP... Let's do something really awkward with it. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be funny. It might be a little bit gimmicky. We'll, we'll abide by your rules. Promise you Mario won't jump. Um, but but let's get on in on this on the ground floor because now as Switch is looking at... Uh, they're no longer looking at a very like dry marketplace. They're now at a place where the Nintendo store is flooded with things and every week there's 7 to 10 games added uh, from all over the place. So for Ubisoft to be in on the ground floor and say, hey... When you start making decisions about who you do and do not want to partner with, just remember that we were with you from the start. You know, Mario Rabbits was a huge success. We proved that we had faith in the Switch where your friends over at Electronic Arts said they weren't too sure. They said very publicly they weren't too sure you were going to do all that well. So, so business-wise, I think Ubisoft made a strong play by being an early contender, um, taking a lot of risk, had massive reward, and are likely to see a lot more reward, especially going into the holiday season. Let's see if they can hit 12 million with Switch sales. They they did ramp up production because they expect to sell, um, what was it, close to 15 by March of next year. So, yeah, I think Mario Rabbids was an incredibly smart choice from a business perspective. So for for that one, um, it's interesting because Vic and I just did a presentation about video game console platforms, and that was one of the things we talked about. It's uh, it's not just a win for Ubisoft. I think it's also a win for Nintendo. Because Nintendo has, I mean, it shows that they're willing to license out their IPs to these third-party developers. And for it to be a success, it just shows that, okay, Nintendo's going to take more more risks next uh, next year, perhaps, with sharing those those IPs. I mean, Universal is already trying to do a Nintendo land with using I, IPs from Nintendo. So that just shows that they're, Nintendo is really trying to make those risks because they've been conservative maybe in the future uh, in the past and it's not really working out for them and just having these more third party developers getting excited for the console is just a huge win and network effect for for Nintendo in itself and um also from a Japanese side um uh I play a lot of Monster Hunter and uh the fact that Capcom decided to launch I mean it's just a port but the Double Cross the newest Monster Hunter on the Switch was a really interesting move for them I think it, they were trying to gauge how much interest uh, um, it was going to bring on the Switch. I don't think it was the best title to do it. Although Monster Hunter is very popular in Japan, I don't think it has... It was only launched in Japan, and also it is a port, and they just launched the DS version maybe five five months prior. So I don't know how many people actually bought it. But at least they're trying to show that they're, they're making risks. I mean, they also had the Street Fighter 2, the, the, the old, old school 
game uh, ported onto the, the the Switch. So they're they're actually showing a lot of promise into that. So it's just good to see a lot of these third party developers actually trying to make games for it because I think that's always what Nintendo's lacking: those big third party developer pushes. And when you talk, when you listen to any other like gaming podcast, whether it be IGN or Dime Bomb, all they talk about is which game do they want it ported to the Switch? And that just shows that the consumers are super excited. And when you get titles from like Doom coming on it, which is really not a classic Nintendo type uh, title onto the on the platform, it just shows that everyone's trying to make that risk and everyone's excited. And I, I think. We already know it already sold 11 million, so it's, it's selling more than the Wii U. So it's just it's it's a great console, and I think Nintendo is going to keep doing it. And I'm glad they're they're succeeding right now. I think just to hit one more business game of the year, the one that we have to talk about is PUBG. I mean, I don't think it's quite out of early access yet. I think tomorrow <laughs> or next week, uh, which is crazy. But how much that's done for Player Unknown? Getting an exclusive deal on Xbox, he's been able to go from just making mods for Arma to having a full-fledged PUBG corporation within uh, Bluehole. Yeah, and, and Bluehole's launching their partnership with Tencent, yep. bringing the game to China, um, especially with a 5% stake from Tencent, that's a solid amount of capital. It also means that they have opportunities for further capital by you know, extending a few more shares to Tencent. Um, they, they've now kind of wrapped in PUBG Corporation into Bluehole so that Bluehole can start working on other projects um, based off the success. But there's there's also something to be said about this model of follow the leader with you know PUBG coming out with a battle royale system that's not based on really extensive single player gameplay, obviously because there is no single player gameplay, um, but but feeding a need, feeding what players wanted, um, hitting that Bartle type that's the. I just want to kill people. Yeah, the, the griefers. Just all about feeding griefers. But the idea that you know other games like Fortnite change their gameplay model, change their game design just to be able to tack onto that market. Mm-hmm. And so what does that kind of mean for the convergence of other game design if you see that kind of market success in an area where game development is getting expensive? Um, it's sort of like see- it's making a sequel without making a sequel. Right. So the question is, you know, it's it's great because a lot of people got a game that they like, but with more companies being forced to ditch monetization schemes and being worried about covering costs, seeing a model that makes money, does that mean EA's next play has to be a battle royale because that's what shareholders are going to want? I mean, they'll probably consider it. It's the same thing with the the horde mode and stuff, where one one you do it once and everyone likes it. Now you have everyone starting to put throw that in there, some variation of it. And I think that Battle Royale is one of the things that they're putting into it. Um, uh, kind of, so the launch, I think, is on the 20th, so it is probably uh, a, week you know, a week out. Um, it, how would that change the expectations of people? Because everyone knows that PUBG is still, well, everyone should know that it's beta, so it's not really a full launch. So if you have, if it's a little bit buggy or if you're having issues, I'm sure people are like, oh, it's still pre-release. But now once it goes to release and you start seeing s- similar kind of issues, how, how quickly will that change the perception of the users? I've noticed that on using Steam Charts and Steam Spy, there has been an uplift in the amount of people buying PUBG recently, whether that's from Game Awards, Brand Lift, or if it's because people realize that they're in the alpha, they're about to come out into like the full game. I don't know if expectations are really going to change. I think that PUBG Corp is going to have to make some 
hard decisions about monetization and how they're going to do it. Um, I know they were exploring loot boxes. I'm not sure if they took them out or not. Um, but it'll be interesting to see going forward. Um, yeah, and, and I think they're also uh, considering a price. I think they had announced uh, a price increase for the full release of the game, yeah. but that's that's a different kind of category. So maybe before we wrap up, why don't we talk about what we're going to play for the break? Can I ask one question before we do that? No, you cannot. <laughs> um, so when we were talking about the Game Awards and how um, Zelda won, well, we all thought Zelda was going to win because it sold the Switch. Do you think if Mario and Zelda's release dates were switched, that Mario would have won the Game Awards and Game of the Year instead of Zelda? I, I do think the the delay had a significant effect because I think there's there's definitely something about the value of Zelda being the thing to play on your Switch for the first three months yeah. <laughs> of the platform um, being incredible because it's kind of like when when you're starved, the next thing you eat might be the best thing you've ever had. Um, that that moment of like Zelda was an incredible game by any means compared to any reference, but being the game you play on this new platform, which is also great, um, it was a solid combo that I think definitely helped. So yes, if if Mario had come first, I think he would have seen a significant effect. I don't know about that because I think Mario is such a Mario Odyssey is a much shorter game than Zelda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I and thought. And Zelda, too. it's beautiful. It's really expansive. I think that. In order to play the entire game, you're going to spend 40 hours playing it. Whereas with Mario, I think I played... You can probably finish it in about 5 or 10 if you do it like really fast. Yeah. So I think the fact that Zelda is so expansive is really what pushed it over the top. I, I, I think if Mario was an 80, 100-hour game, assume like just a pure gameplay, and it had more levels, it might have been Game of the Year. Yeah, I, I kind of agree more on, the, on Steve's side because... I've collected all the local coins up to beating the game. So even much, well, I, sorry, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. No spoilers. Uh, but and I've spent maybe about thirty plus hours on Galaxy uh, Odyssey. Yeah. Um, but Zelda, that's thirty hours. You're you're not. You're only going to finish the actual game. Like that's the big difference. And if there was more titles between Zelda and then. Because there was that, th- you said three months gap, where there's nothing else to play besides Zelda. If there were more games coming out, it would have been a little bit different. But then, uh, I think I don't think Mario could have sustained that three months with Odyssey alone. Yeah. I think you're right. Well, th- again, thanks for joining the Business Gaming Podcast. This was episode 17. Thanks, Rio, for coming on and helping us. Thanks. thanks. I'm, I'm finally on it. <laughs> Praise the sun. Praise the sun. Praise the sun. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, how would they reach out to you? So um, I'm on I'm on uh, Twitter at Pawa one zero three one. Yeah, P A W A. P A W A, and um, you you can find me on PlayStation Network at Pawa P A W A zero nine two two. Sorry, different numbers, <laughs> curveballs. Uh, and how many birthdays do you have? <laughs> well, okay, zero nine two two is the birthday, and if you don't understand the one zero three one reference, go 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 read Slam Dunk. You just really like Cal. It's it's a it's a great comic about basketball, but if, if you see that, you'll understand what one zero three one means. So uh, if you have questions, you can ask me there. But awesome, and as always, I'm Steve Maxback Bart Huber, and I'm Big Spectarium. Next time. Steve and I want to thank you again for listening to the Business and Gaming Podcast. If you'd like to send us feedback, you can forward your feedback to feedback at thebusinessofgaming.com or you can go to our website at www.thebusinessofgaming.com and drop a question for us to answer on the show. What are we supposed to do after that? <laughs> I feel like that's when I should thank you.